Sullivan County has the highest opioid death rate per capita outside of New York City in New York State. And in March of 2022, 20% of all deaths in Sullivan County were opioid related, according to the Sullivan County Coroner. What are we doing to change that? I'm Patricia Robile for Radio Caskill. In this episode, we'll get to explore a program that looks to help find a viable treatment option for people seeking help to reduce their dependence on prescription medication, alcohol, and other drugs. Hope, not handcuffs. We will learn what this program is all about and who are the volunteers that they call angels who go out and help someone in crisis when they are needed. They are the angels of hope, not handcuffs. Today, I'm joined with Annette Cars, Executive Director for a Tri-County Community Partnership and the Program Director for Hope Not Handcuffs in New York, and Wendy Brown, Deputy Commissioner of Health and Human Services for Sullivan County. We also get to speak to some of the angel volunteers for Hope Not Handcuffs, Maureen Lerner, Lindsay Wheat, Judy Balaban, and Paige Batkin. Let's get to know more of our speakers. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Annette Cars. I'm the Program Director for Tri-County uh, pardon me, the uh, executive director for Tri-County Community Partnership, which is the nonprofit that runs uh, the Hope Not Handcuffs program, but I'm also the program uh, director for Hope Not Handcuffs. I'm Maureen Lerner. I'm a community volunteer on a number of different projects. Um, I'm one of the angels and happy to be one. Hi, I'm Paige. I'm from the South Fallsburg area, and I am an angel and thrilled to be an angel because addiction has touched my life in many ways. And I think that's pretty much why we're all here. Hi, I'm Judy Balaban, and uh, I'm also an angel and awaiting the opportunity to um, to do that job. Um, and I'm also on the drug task force, and I'm happy to be here too. Hi, I'm Lindsay. I'm with Sullivan 180, and I'm honored to be an angel. I'm in the Monticello Fire Department, and unfortunately, almost daily, we are dealing with overdose. And all I've been able to do is watch them um, deny help. And by being an angel, um, it, I see a different outcome. And Wendy Brown? So I'm a nurse. I am the coordinator of the Sullivan County Drug Task Force. And I also, I'm also Deputy Commissioner of Health and Human Services. I'm an angel because, um, one, I very much believe in the program. I see the stats on a daily basis. I grew up in a family of alcoholics, so I'm familiar with addiction um, in the alcohol realm. But since I've moved into this role and being a nurse, I've worked on the Lower East Side for years. I've seen the progress that's really been made. And also, I, I want to give back, and I think we always hear folks say, well, why isn't somebody doing something? So this is why I volunteer, because I want to do something. You know, I've worked with a couple of people, and um, it's just, it, every day is heart-wrenching. It really is. So I want to make a difference. Yeah. Hope the Handcuffs is, uh, helps people struggling with substance abuse disorder. They come to any participating police agencies or or community partner and ask for help without the fear of being arrested. Annette, how did this partnership come about between Hope Not Handcuffs 
and Sullivan County. Sure. So just a like a little bit of background on this type of work in general is um, this type of work. This is what's called deflection and or diversion. There's usually two names uh, that are associated with pre-arrest diversion. Um, in some cases, it's post-arrest uh, working with district attorneys. Um, but uh, this is a, a model that started around 2015 uh, in Gloucester, Massachusetts, um, by a nonprofit organization called PARI, or I, I say it PARI, I'm from the Midwest, but some people say PARI, um, but um, it stands for Police Assisted Addiction Recovery Initiative. So there are over 700, uh, I believe 750 law enforcement agencies around the country that are doing this type of work. We are just one model of this work where we involve the community members. Um, in some cases, some police departments will work with it directly with a human service organization. Um, in some cases, the police officers themselves are uh, what we call an angel. Um, but we use a technique called community mobilization. Basically, what we do is we use our, our resources that we have in our communities, which are the people who are most directly affected by this uh, issue. Um, you're seeing some of here, but I promise you just about all of our volunteers have some kind of direct, you know, experience uh, with addiction. And um, we, we sort of give them a job. I mean, uh, people raise their hands, they want to help. Uh, they just want to uh, do something to pay it forward to help somebody else. Maybe someone has helped them at some point in their lives. So um, we, we have uh, over 500 uh, trained volunteers um, that just uh, want an opportunity to be able to go uh, help somebody who's struggling with addiction. And so um, the theory behind it also with law enforcement is it's a, a it's a safe place to meet with somebody. Um, it's a single point of entry that people can just walk into. Everybody knows where the police department is. They can just walk in uh, and the police have made a, a, a pledge that, that people can feel safe to come in there, meet with the volunteer, and then you know get assisted into treatment pretty much right on the spot. We have 60 law enforcement agencies that are part of the program. We, we brought it to New York from Michigan about three years ago, uh, we started working with uh, 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 District Attorney uh, Galligan's office. Um, she has been a huge champion uh, for this uh, kind of work, and is certainly with the Drug Task Force as well. Uh, Sullivan County is, is incredibly progressive and forward and collaborative uh, in terms of uh, working together to do anything that they can to assist their, their community and their people who are struggling with addiction. So, um, you know, we're grateful and honored to be working um, with the Drug Task Force and, and our volunteers. I mean, these are, these are amazing people who are, who are just wanting to help somebody in need. The voluntary part is is one piece of the program where people can come in and then an angel will come and or usually two angels will come and they'll help somebody into treatment. The other piece is the um, after someone maybe has entered into the criminal justice system, a lot of our a lot of our people who uh, we help through this program have never been involved with with law enforcement and just want a place to be able to find help um, and have somebody assist them through navigating through the the, the complicated system, the treatment system. Um, but there are people who have committed uh, low level offenses, you know, petty crimes. I'm, I'm sure Wendy could talk a little bit more articulate about this, but these are low level offenses that are a way for people 
people to enter into treatment at a, just at a different point in their addiction. Okay. So maybe they weren't planning on it uh, that day, uh, but they're uh, presented with an opportunity and then, uh, and it's also very successful that way as well. So the officers are trained and have the discretion to be able to use it uh, in their in their workday as a as a as a different law enforcement tool. So it, it can be pre or post arrest. And I just like to thank you, Annette. I just would like to jump in on that a little bit because one of the things that DA Galligan has done has really um, you know working with the Hope Not Handcuffed uh, with Annette and the team is giving us an option and the police officers. Uh, in our county have really embraced this. And I always use the example, and I'm going to talk about, you know, a local box store. If, the, if a police officer gets called to go to one of the local box stores here, and it's because someone has stolen like 15 tubes of toothpaste, well, the chances are that the person doesn't really want to brush their teeth all the time, is that they may be stealing to support their drug addiction. So the police officers has a, have that option to say to this person at that encounter, look, we can go the legal route, or if you have a drug issue, let us help you get into treatment. And the person does not get arrested. It's a pre-arrest diversion program. And there's a very specific uh, follow-up if the person, you know, a lot of communication with the Hope Not Handcuffs team, if the person does not follow through on whatever that other steps are taken. But this really empowers the police department at that first at that first interaction. Like Annette said, for many people, it's their first time getting into the, you know, getting involved with the, with the criminal justice system. So it's, it's really, a, a, I, I can't tell you how impressed I am. And I've been doing this for a long, long time with this program. And I, I know that when um, someone in my family had a drug issue and we were looking for services, it was almost impossible to find a place for him to go. Um, and he had insurance uh, and thank goodness we were successful and able to, you know, to get his life together. But with Hope Not Handcuffs, people who don't have the advocates or the resources now do, because suddenly we have access to all of these other treatment centers that are further away. Um, insurance is addressed by Hope Not Handcuffs if necessary. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a wonderful thing. And, and I think that we all need to understand that we have a responsibility to each other. And I think those of us who are here do understand that and, and we can meet that responsibility in different ways and helping people get the help they need to then help themselves um, is one way of doing that through Hope Not Handcuffs. And there's also an opportunity that we have identified the gaps potentially um, when we look at the needs of the people in the community that need the support. So going through this process, we get to see firsthand where the challenges are and have the opportunity over time to fix those gaps. So it's not just walking in um, to a police station. It's seeing what the process is really like and the time it takes and the pain and the anguish. For me personally, you know, and for all the fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles and neighbors and friends and teachers, um, we show that we really are, and this sounds like very contrived, but we are stronger together because the more people we get trained, not only as angels, but perhaps with Narcan, 
we could truly make a difference in the community. And speaking about Narcan training, there will be Narcan training available tomorrow at the International Overdose Awareness Day vigil that's happening Wednesday, August 31st in front of the Sullivan County Courthouse. Sullivan County has the highest overdose death rate per capita in New York State, according to recent reports. Wendy, you uh, it's like you've been a nurse. You've been wear many hats in you know in the county, the drug tax force, the public health. Obviously, the situation that we're in now didn't happen overnight, and we have been working towards bettering the situation is with opioid addiction and just addiction in general. Where do you see the trend going? Do you see the trend going in a positive direction? Do you see it going in a negative direction? Well, I can give you my personal opinion uh, from what I see. Uh, you know, I think that there's a, a tremendous issue with drugs coming into the county. And, you know, I cannot say enough about the need to support law enforcement and their heroic efforts to stem this tide. But sometimes, and again, my personal opinion, I feel like it's sticking your finger in the dike because, you know, you do one thing and then, you know, I mean, just look at the news about the, the, the drugs that are coming in. It's just overwhelming. And the thing that's so unbelievably scary now is when I, and I can say this because I'm old, you know, when, you know, Woodstock was how many years ago, you know, the drugs that people used at Woodstock, people got high, you know, and that was one thing. The drugs that are out there now are killing people. There's a campaign that we're working on. It's called One Pill Can Kill. And that's because of all the illegally manufactured uh, fentanyl that's coming in. And it's not just now fentanyl. I mean, every day there's another drug that's killing people. And, and you have, a, a, you know, Someone who is quote unquote mainstream that maybe is, has a little bit of problem with back pain and gets a pill from somebody you know online or something like that and they die and they die because the pill is not a pure pill and that to me is one of the trends that is so terrifying and for the youth and for people to think oh it's not going to happen to me yeah. It will happen to you. It is happening to people. There's a group in California, uh, it's called Song of Charlie. And if you ever want to see something that like takes your breath away, Google it and watch, watch the video. It's amazing. So I see that as a real challenge. I also see one of the exciting things that's happening here where we're getting hit with this onslaught is we are seeing providers come together more. And I think that, you know, under Megan's lead and, and this collaborative approach, you know, if people are sharing more. We're looking to work smarter. You know, uh, we were very fortunate in the um, opioid settlement, not that the money wasn't well-deserved because it was, but we had that opioid settlement funding with the, the cases against the drug, uh, you know, pharma, and there hopefully is going to be some work coming that way. We're working in a, a grant with the Healing Communities Grant out of Columbia University. Uh, the Drug Task Force started off a very, very small grant from the Department of Health, which is just about ending, but now because attention is being focused, on the drug issue and, and more money is coming that way. We're seeing more resources and within Sullivan County, we are working more collaboratively. Um, you know, we have a ways to go, uh, but we're, you know, we're working beautifully and hope not handcuffs is like the cream in the Oreo pulling this stuff together because, you know, they have the resources, they can reach out, they can make phone calls. And one other thing that I think we need to mention, because this is this is quite impressive with our program, um, DA Galligan was able to work with one of the local cab companies, because so many times 
people will, you know, you get them, quote unquote, a bed, or you get them an admission someplace, and then transportation is the challenge. Well, one of the local cab companies has stepped up to the plate, and they will, we can call them, they will transport the person, and Megan has worked out something where they can get reimbursed for that action. And that's a big plus. That's a really big plus. I want to say on that, that is, I'm so glad that Wendy brought that up. I mean, you want to talk about collaboration, Lord, that's it. I mean, we've never had another county and we work in six counties. We've never had another county do that. And it is tremendous because the angels don't drive people to treatment. Um, and so we, we uh, you know, use other methods like uh, occasionally the police will uh, drive people to treatment. And we have definitely had that happen. Um, we use uh, Medicaid transportation, Uber Health, uh, some Sometimes cab companies independently um, and or treatment facilities that provide transportation. But my gosh, that is such an incredible uh, resource uh, for us to be able to have because that cuts down on so much time and expense. So, you know, and I just want to point out one other thing. There's our program has really evolved. We've we've we, you know, we started out as a self-referral program with the angels. And while I feel that that is the sort of backbone, the the angels are the ambassadors of the program. It has grown a lot to working with people who may or may not feel comfortable walking into a police department. So we created a phone line. Our phone lines are from seven days a week, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. We have nine trained peer recovery coaches on uh, with lived experience on those phones, ready to help somebody into treatment over the phone. And then, you know, working with district attorney's offices and working with probation and working with other uh, agencies, kind of cross collaboration, just to catch a moment where we might be able to intervene and get somebody into treatment. And we've actually, uh, since, uh, you know, 2019, uh, in the three years that we, we we started here, we've helped over 600 people into treatment. So clearly, you know, it, it's it's happening. I wish there was a little bit more uh, walk-ins. Uh, I wish public uh, perception of the police and maybe drug addiction not going hand in hand. I, I hope that's beginning to change. That's a lot resting on law enforcement's shoulders, you know, to get out there in their communities and say, we have this program, you can trust us, feel comfortable, feel safe, whatever it is to walk in. That's a great point because reducing the stigma associated with the police is, is a tremendous opportunity. And also carrying, um, my understanding is the police carry cards that they give out. Why don't you share a little bit about that? They do. So they're trained. Uh, we use a, a, a method with law enforcement that we teach, uh, which is the, the five pathways uh, of, of, of treatment. There's self-referral, officer referral, officer intervention, naloxone uh, uh, plus, which is after an overdose and uh, active outreach. So there's these different pathways that they're taught about, which are more on a national model. But basically, it is a crime prevention tool as well as a community policing program. The, the part about the angels, though, is that like Maureen just said it perfectly, the stigma. So the, one of the beautiful secondary effects of this of this program is that it really helps normalize and or um, addressing that stigma of people to be able to come out and have an average everyday person show up at the police department, somebody who doesn't know you, but that's just a volunteer who's saying, look, I believe in you. You're doing the right thing. We're wrapping our arms around you as a community. And we, we know you can do this, you know? So that is huge. I mean, we had 
107,000 lives lost last year alone uh, to drug overdose. And then I think almost 100,000 the year before that, and then year before that, and year before that. So, I mean, this is a significant number of people who are who are affected by this, this issue. So it hopefully normalizes it, I guess is what I'm trying to say, by allowing the community uh, to be involved in healing itself. And for anyone who is on the fence about becoming an angel, you know, there's no more better way to explain the gratification of watching them pull away in success of being placed and knowing that you are the reason for their second chance. Those who are suffering from uh, substance use are already at, you know, their, their lowest point. So when met with walls in finding help can cause such a feeling of defeat. So Hope Not Handcuffs faces those walls for them. And it's really that guiding light in, into being their, their second chance. And Lindsay has, has actually uh, done that process. And I believe Paige has as well. Um, so, I mean, they know firsthand what it's like to be sitting in front of somebody who is, you know, tired and, and um, not feeling so well and, and just needs to get, get some help. So kudos to them and kudos to law enforcement and, and the district attorney's office and the drug task force to, to, you know, open and be open-minded about thinking outside the box and allowing different programs like this, like ours and other programs to come in and, and just, and all work together to, to kind of cast a wide net. And get and get the people who are struggling. Let's talk about that process. What happens when the angels are activated and they come to a scene? Can you walk us through sort of a, a hypothetical situation? Sure. So if somebody calls our our hope line, which uh, not to plug it, but might seem like a good time to say the number, uh, the the number is eight three three four two eight hope. Four six seven three. There's Wendy's holding up a, one of our, uh, yeah, one of our uh, rack cards there that we have a QR code on the back, and these are these are all over. We have a variety of smaller cards that we use that the officers actually the officers carry uh, custom cards for their department. But so if somebody were to call our hope line, they would get one of our uh, trained uh, uh, peer recovery coaches. They're either all uh, certified addiction recovery coaches, uh, SERPAs. Uh, we have two RNs. Uh, everybody has lived. Experience experience. I have lived experience and I'm a certified addiction recovery coach myself. I have lived experience in my family. Um, and so uh, they will answer the phone, um, talk to somebody. Uh, we do have a short intake form that we fill out. We gather some information and then we basically start to assist somebody in treatment right over the phone. Um, we do have uh, methods for uh, HIPAA uh, forms and so forth. And we have relationships with treatment facilities all over the region, really from, from Westchester to Albany um, and even outside in Pennsylvania, Connecticut and New Jersey, other treatment facilities, depending on the insurance. Um, we can initiate insurance if they do not have insurance. And so we begin that process right over the phone. Um, and then we stay in touch with the person that's over the phone. If somebody were to walk into uh, one other way that's not as commonly used, but you can go on our website, which is hope not handcuffs HV uh, for Hudson Valley, uh, com. And then there's also a little online submission form there. It's a Google form. They can fill out some short information on that, push submit. And then one of our recovery coaches will call them. So it's kind of the opposite. Um, so that way is also a way that people can receive help. And then, of course, with the angels, uh, the self-referral part where they just walk in the police department, they go up to, to the window of the dispatch and they say, I'm here for the Hope Not Handcuffs program. This is the self-referral part. Of course, now Wendy's uh, or the district attorney's uh, program is, is a little bit different um, and 
maybe she'll want to speak on that. But if they're just walking in looking for help, they go up, they say they would like the Hope Not Handcuffs program. The officers will call us, uh, our number. Uh, we will dispatch two community volunteers. We call out two angels. Uh, the angels will show up to the police department within 30 minutes. They wear their their uh, Hope Not Handcuff shirt. They've been trained. The angels have been trained for approximately two and a half hour training. Um, and they they uh, show up to the police department. They sit down with the person. We have uh, these boxes that we keep in all of our police departments. In those boxes, there's uh, hygiene kits. Uh, there's some uh, emergency clothing, like brand new sweats and sweatpants, um, some, some snacks, some granola bars, water, things like that. And then our protocol forms. Um, and they will begin to sit down and uh, fill those forms out and then sort of do the same process that we would do over the phone. They begin to call treatment facilities. A lot of times we'll have uh, parents who will come in with, with one of their, you know, their kids and just say, look, we, we, we don't know where to go. Um, and then that's where the angel just takes over. And they are so grateful uh, that somebody else is sitting there because either the parents are tired, the person's tired. Um, imagine, you know, being physically not feeling well and then emotionally exhausted and you know having to call these treatment facilities as a mother who's gone through it myself i understand it's it's it, you're you're exhausted um so just having somebody take your hand and say we got this we're going to help you it is it is huge so and uh yeah that's basically the way that they they would they access this. Wendy, I don't know if you want to talk any more about from from the diversion program with the with the DA's office and how that process is a little different. Well, I can speak to it a, a little in that um, you know they they are like like I said earlier um, the incident is recorded. There are certain expectations that the person needs to meet. You know, if it's something like if they're selling drugs or something like that, forget it. You know. But uh, this is somebody that uh, officers identify as just perhaps having a substance use issue and giving them that opportunity. Also, you know, we have signs here at the, at the district attorney's office. Um, you know, people can walk in here as well. And if I'm not here, um, you know, hope not handcuffs would be activated from this office too. The angels are volunteers and this is just not a atypical volunteer position. I believe, in my opinion, it takes a certain person that you know wants to be an angel. But uh, I, I hope that doesn't discourage anyone from applying to be an angel uh, if you feel that you know what's something that moves you enough you want to do. Because you're talking to people when they're in their lowest point in in their lives sometimes, and you know you're facing crisis, and that could be you know very overwhelming. They, they are, and they, yet they're never left alone. And I think Lindsay and Paige could tell you this. Uh, from the minute that the angels walk into a police department and they sit down with somebody, listen, they're nervous too. Um, they've never done this before in a lot of cases. Um, they're not sure what they're going to walk in and see, or maybe they're not, you know, in the occasion where they've uh, been uh, faced with something like this. But we are behind the scenes with them, um, our coordinators on the phone, uh, and, or, and, or, you know, through texting or whatever, through behind the scenes, helping them every step of the way. They're never left alone. We're always guiding them all the way. We just want to make it as easy for the angel as possible so that they can just go in and be emotionally available to comfort somebody. And let's talk about those stories. Lindsay, what moved you to want to volunteer and become an angel for Hope Not Handcuffs? Um, as I mentioned before, I am a member of the fire department and we are facing overdose daily. 
sometimes more than once a day. And all we can do is administer Narcan and hope that they go for help in that moment. Um, there are more times, unfortunately, that all I could do is drive away, um, knowing that they have not gone and gotten help. And this is such an incredible platform for uh, someone to be confident and, like I said, not have to meet those walls alone to get help. And I don't have to watch, you know, I don't have to drive away anymore. I get to watch them drive away um, successfully being placed. So being a part of the solution is, is such a, just an important uh, piece to this. We have to do it together. When you go to a case and you apply what you have done in your training uh, to be an angel for Hope and the handcuffs, and the person is, you know, now on his, their way to seek treatment, how do you feel? What are your sort of thoughts running through your head when the whole situation is finally over? It is a feeling of gratification that is unexplicable. Um, it is absolutely fulfilling. It is hopeful. It's fulfilling in a way that you know that you are serving. Um, it's not a selfish fulfillment. It is, you know that you're a part of something bigger. Um, at least that's how I feel. And each person that I've helped place made me feel differently because each each case, each person, each individual is absolutely different and have a different story. So each time it feels incredible, but for a different reason, every single individual is different. And how about you, Paige? Um, what motivated you to become an angel? Uh, I have two recovering sons. Been in recovery for quite a bit now. Uh, when I first saw the training, I was ecstatic. I can't tell you the amount of people that showed up at the 911 center for our training. And every single person there was there because this has touched them. Not because they have nothing else to do, nothing better to do with their time. It's because this has touched every single one of us in some type, in some type of way. And I got trained and I've had the pleasure of being an angel with Lindsay. And uh, my first angel call went you know, the way it was supposed to, got them in treatment, did everything we were supposed to do. And I got in my car and could not drive for a half an hour because I just sat there sobbing. And it, it wasn't, it was a, a mixture of a million different emotions, you know, you know, thank God I could help somebody. Thank God they, they made the phone call, you know, that I was able to help them. And, you know, thank God for the addiction that's touched my family, you know, that it wasn't the horrible and that it can be, you know, that my kids got help. I'm gratified every single time I'm called. You know, we we sign up for on-call dates and times. There's times when when somebody gets called in and you weren't signed on and you drop absolutely everything you're doing and you get your hiney to the police department because this matters and it, it matters and it makes a difference. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this. I think you mentioned earlier about like, giving back and this has affected you personally and now you're sort of giving back to the community and providing help for another family maybe like yours 100 percent and and you know i can't stress enough that that's why we do what we do you know not everybody's you know very forthcoming on, on how this has affected us to me 
I tell the whole world I'm an angel. If I can get one person to walk in there because of my mouth, that makes me happy. I just want to say too, um, you know, I, I remember when we first started the program, we had uh, a little pushback from some some of the, well, some people, I won't say, you know, it kind of came from a variety of ways, but um, they were like, well, you know, how can you do this? How can you use volunteers? These people are volunteers. They, what if, you know, something were to happen or whatever? And um, I always say, well, number one, you know, when a volunteer is meeting with somebody who's struggling, we're in a police department. That's the best possible place, not just from the standpoint of public safety, but in case something were to happen with somebody wasn't feeling well or anything like that, you're in a great place for that. And um, but I always say, you know, look no further. If you don't know the power of volunteers in New York State, look no further than your volunteer EMS and your volunteer fire all up and down through this state. Right. So are you going to tell if your house is on fire? Uh, and there's a volunteer out there holding the hose. Are you going to say that that person's not qualified to shoot the water at your house? I mean, I find that that like the most ridiculous argument because we have the most capable people, our angels, our professionals. They are yes, they're moms and dads, and they're people who've been directly affected. But they're they're nurses and they're teachers and they're you know they they have all kinds of great life skills. Uh, and I always say, if you really want to get something done, give it to a mom because. Because I'm not saying we don't have dads, because we do, but moms rule the world. They can make things happen. And there's also a lot of kitchen table referrals going on uh, where people are just calling uh, treatment facilities on their own because they're they're embarrassed. Uh, you know, they they don't feel comfortable telling anybody. So if you can do it in your kitchen, uh, you can do it. You can do it with an angel at a police department. So that's one thing. And then the last thing I'll say is that we also teach the officers and the angels about the power of planting the seed and how really important that is because you may not think that that person is receptive because they don't want to walk into the police department that day or they don't want to call your number that day because they're just not there yet in their head but believe me when i tell you the power of planting the seed is very strong and we don't have all day but i could give you several uh scenarios with law enforcement where people have come into the police department because they've spoken to a police officer a month beforehand about getting about getting some help so that's that's thing too right is it's about making people aware having awareness out there that this program exists you know they may see it uh an advertisement for it they may have seen a hope in a handcuffs booth at a at a county fair or somewhere like you mentioned before it's planting a seed lets them know that you know there is uh, another option for them or one of another options for them Maureen, uh, same question to you. What moved you to become a angel for Hope Night Handcuffs? For all the times I couldn't help, for all the families that are embarrassed and feel that there is no hope. So here's a process that really could reduce that pain potentially by getting people into treatment. Um, you know, I have a situation that happened many, many years ago with a family member that um, the family chose not to recognize. They were, you know, hiding the fact because of a number of issues, you know, embarrassment and financial cost or whatever it might be. And one day, at, and, and I hate to say this, but my cousin died and they found him and here's an opportunity to save a life. And what better, um, 
um, feeling can a person get, and I think Paige said it well, than saving someone. And so here's a program and it's a simple process and it navigates um, participants through with a helping hand. Um, it gives you hope. And what more can I say? But we all need help and we all need to be part of this program. And the more people that volunteer, whether it's through Hope Not Handcuffs or recognize that there's an opportunity to help a friend or a neighbor or a cousin or somebody, then that's what we need to do because we all live in a community. They say it takes a village. Well, in this case, it took a county. And let's really all participate. And that's why I'm in it. Right, because it's, it's your friends, families, and neighbors are, that are helping uh, each other during this crisis that we have here in Sullivan County. Maureen, I also asked that same question to you. What are sort of your thoughts afterwards after you uh, has handled, been to a case? And um... So interesting enough, I've signed up for many. Um, I have yet to be called, but I have spoken to people that are suffering from uh, substance abuse. And so I direct them to the program. So there's all different ways that you could direct people, whether you are there, um, you know, on a call or you talk to neighbors or friends or help people. So the education that you get through Hope Not Handcuffs gives you the ability to spread the word. And I think that's equally as critical as showing up on a call. I think people think that they, you know, listen, they uh, they sign up to to help somebody, but oftentimes um, they get apprehensive about that. And um, one of the other ways that the angels are utilized so much is community events. I mean, we have tabling events all the time and, you know, we just had one on Sunday and the angels are, you know, standing out there, they're handing out information. And in some cases they say, you know, I, I kind of like this better. I, I, I feel like I'm doing something. I'm spreading the word. I'm, I'm bringing awareness, but but yet maybe I am a little apprehensive about, you know, sitting with somebody because I don't have that necessary experience or what have you. So there's always a way to be able to help. I think in, in any kind of community organization, I mean, there's always people in every community organization, you only see the top, right? But you don't see the people behind the scenes who are folding the envelopes and stuffing the envelopes and going to the post office and, you know, loading car. And that that's all part of it too. Um, so we're grateful for the angels to be not only available to go to the police department, but also to do community events, to spread awareness, just, you know, like what Maureen's saying. So definitely that's important too. Right. Like I said, it's about raising awareness. And like you mentioned, like having a booth at, at a fair, like I said, they're passing by, they can see that, see the, the, the seed has been planted in their head. That like I said, there is an option for them to seek and get help. Wendy, the same question to you, what it moved you to become a volunteer and to become an angel for Hope Night Handcuffs? Well, I think pretty much my real motivation was really wanting to do something. And not because of my role within the county, but I think that, you know, I'm hoping to send a message by not only talking the talk, but walking the walk. And that was one part of it. The other part of it is I really have been touched by this. And I saw, as I said earlier, years ago, you know, the ravages of IV drug abuse and what that does to lives and families. And I'm... Not embarrassed, but it, it was a growth process for me because when I started working on the Lower East Side, there were, you know, pretty much that population of folks was written off 
And it's, you know, one day they're going to die. And I knew looking at the majority of them because I would see them repeatedly that they were. And then one day I met this man who had come in and he used to come into the emergency department. He would specifically ask if I was on. So, you know, that's a bad sign. But anyway, um, he came into the emergency department and one day I caught him in a moment of clarity. And when I tell you this, this poor person, his name was Isaiah, was just so I mean he was really what we used to call at that time circling the drain and I sat I was a quiet night and I sat on his stretcher and I was talking to him and he told me the story of his life how he had you know and how he started using drugs and all of a sudden the humanity it was like I almost I'm going to start to cry when I talk about it it's kind of like it was I almost feel like God put his hand down and slapped me in the head and said, you know, listen to this person. He talked about his family. He talked about his kids. And I thought to myself, my God, he's, the, he's, he's just like me. He has the same wants, the same needs. Um, and he just, you know, for whatever reason, and I'll get back to that in a second, was making some bad choices. Now that was, I, mean, I don't want anybody figuring out how old I am, but that was in 1982. Since 1982, we've learned so much more about the disease of addiction, and Maureen spoke to the stigma, and, and Annette spoke to the stigma, and that's so important because it's not a choice that some people make. It's been biologically proven that some people have a propensity, and it can be that one pill, and then there, and we're not supposed to say the, F, the H word, but I'll use it because people understand it, then you're hooked. And it becomes it becomes no longer a choice. It becomes a biological need. And you know, Megan Galligan, our district attorney, talks about speaks very openly about her sister that was addicted to heroin. She's been in recovery for 17 years. And Megan says in, a, in an interview that we did that she, even to this day, and her sister is leading a successful life with a wonderful family. There isn't a day that she wakes up and doesn't think about getting high. I mean, that is unbelievable. So to realize that um, it just puts it in more of a in more of a spin. And I think that, you know, by being accepting and like and I'm very happy to say this guy, Isaiah, that I spoke about, not because I was a wizard or anything like that, but he did get into treatment and he did clean himself up. Well, not supposed to say clean either. He did get his life straightened out and he had been an addict for over 25 years. So. It's so important for people to know that there is hope and to be in that warm embrace and, and to know that there are people that care. And maybe it's not going to be that day that somebody goes into recovery and stays. But you know what? It might be the next time or the time after that. Like Lindsay said, just giving that information and letting people know that there are that there are people out there that really, really do care and people that have been successful is really one of the reasons that makes me donate my time. If someone's listening to this after hearing all these stories on why you and everyone else wanted to become an angel and why it was so important, how can they get in contact with Hope Not Handcuffs and volunteer either to be an angel or volunteer in some other capacity? So they can go to our website, which is Hope Not Handcuffs. Uh, well, you can get the website either two ways. It's Hope Not Handcuffs HV, which stands for HudsonValley.com, or you can go to Hope Not Handcuffs NY.com. Uh, either one will take you to the same location, which is the Tri-County Community Partnership. That's the 501C that actually uh, runs the program in the different counties. And um, there is a how to become an angel uh, part on there, like a little square. You just 
uh, click on that and it'll take you to a application, a Google application. Um, the application is very you know, short, but um, we do um, uh, like to make sure that we you know, do a background check uh, to some degree. Uh, the background check is very uh, brief, but it's something that's similar to if you were going to volunteer at your kid's school or at the Little League Park um, that's required. Uh, and then we we uh, go through that process of a training. So we have two, uh, we have, let's see, we have a training in September, we have a training in October and a training in November uh, set up right now, uh, one a month. We do them right now. We're still kind of doing them via Zoom. We were doing them in person. Now we're kind of doing them in Zoom. Uh, the, the thing about Zoom is less personal, but we can have maybe somebody who lives in Westchester and someone who lives in Sullivan County kind of do the do the training at the same time. So it's different. We've all come to realize that um, that we're running the world remotely nowadays, right? So um, it's good and bad, but that's that's how they can do it. They can go to our website, fill out the, the Google form to become an angel and then sign up for one of our trainings. There is a International Overdose Awareness Day vigil happening Wednesday, August 31st. Starts at 7 p.m for the Sullivan County Courthouse. Lindsay, can you give us more information and tell us exactly what's going to happen uh, Wednesday evening? Such an important night. Um, last year, so, well, every year on August 31st is International Overdose Awareness Day. Last year, we held this event in Liberty, and we knew that this night was important, but as the evening unfolded, we then found and learned that it was necessary. And it was such a platform for everyone who's facing this crisis to come together. So um, firematic, EMS, law enforcement, parents who gathered together and felt a certain stigma about not being able to talk about, for whatever reason, really found each other that evening. Um, and this has just grown in, in size. This evening is going to be um, absolutely beautiful for so many reasons. We have an incredible Sullivan County Drug Task Force, and uh, we'll have 15 tabling organizations there. That's 15 organizations that are here in Sullivan County that are working together, collaborating together. That's amazing. Um, we'll have the courthouse. This is on the front lawn of the Sullivan County Courthouse. We'll have the courthouse entirely up like purple, which is the color for awareness. Um, we'll have the Sullivan County Choir. We'll have a vigil, and as the sun is setting, we will have... Um, you know, we'll light the candles and the clergy will say prayer um, for those that we have lost and for those that are still on their journey to recovery and learn how we can support them. Is there anything else that I have not touched on that you want our listeners to know about? Paige? I have one more thing. When people ask me why I do what I do, I have a very short answer and that's that I'm giving back because I was blessed that my two of my sons made it through recovery, which is a lifelong thing. I am kind of an anomaly that I talk about things that a lot of people might not talk about. When one of my sons finally went into long-term treatment, I put it on Facebook. I told everyone, because if, if me being open and upfront means that that helps someone else that's struggling with being open and upfront, if that makes a difference, then, then, then that's what I'm here for. Do you understand what I mean? Rather than hiding it and making it this evil thing, no, shed light on it. 
you know, put light on it and the dark's going to go away. Hey, my son's in treatment. Hey, he's doing great or he's struggling or whatever. If, if me being upfront and open about that means that it makes one other person or one other family say, Hey, she did it. We can do it too. And somebody gets help. That's my mission. Paige spot on. Mine is also to some degree that it's a payback for all the blessings that I got and giving out to other people that opportunity to save a life. Thank you to all our speakers for joining us for this episode. Thank you to Annette, Wendy, Maureen, Lindsay, Judy, Paige. Thank you so much for telling me your stories, telling me why you do what you do. Thank you. You were listening to a special episode of the local edition where we get to explore Hope Night Handcuffs and their angels. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricia Robayo.